You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Amy Edmondson, Professor of Leadership and Management at Harvard Business School. Amy has authored multiple books, including her most recent, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth, which has been translated into 11 languages. Amy has been recognized by Thinkers 50 Global Ranking of Management Thinkers since 2011 and recently ranked number three in 2019. She also received their Breakthrough Idea Award and Talent Award. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Amy discuss how to build psychological safety on a team and organizational level, what role psychological safety plays in building a diverse and inclusive environment at work, how to set the stage as a leader for your staff to have a strong answer to the question, why bother, and how to be explicit in asking for feedback and clear that you don't expect your team to have all the answers. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today I'm extremely excited to have Amy Edmondson with us. Amy, how are you? Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. We appreciate you coming on. We've been following your stuff online. And um, obviously, you know, with the new book and and, uh, being out, we thought that the content of that was incredibly timely, um, especially during a pandemic. Um, And so... So I'm really excited to dive into that. But but first, uh, Amy, I want to kind of just go a little broad and rewind for, for a moment. You've written a few books, and you you know, being a a, a professor of leadership at Harvard, you, you this is your lane. What what brought you what brought you to this to this lane and 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 down the path of writing books? <gasps> It's a great question. Um, probably because I wasn't good enough at anything else, right? So they, they say those who can't do teach, right? So I'm a I'm a teacher and a writer. Um, and honestly, I um, I have a love hate relationship with writing, as I suspect many writers do. And that I really love the challenge and the opportunity to get it right in, in a way that is hard to do aloud. Now, I know this is a podcast and, and we're going to have to make it work aloud. But in writing, you get to just keep editing yourself until it feels more clear and feels more you know, close to um, reality. So I've, I have valued you know, the opportunity to put things in writing that I care about and that I think might be relevant for others to learn about. And 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 books are, you know, occasionally just the right thing to you know to give you room to say enough about something and to include lots of compelling stories along the way, as yeah. opposed to articles which are short and and tighter and and. And it, it seems like you know there 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 seems to be a big competition with short bursts of videos and and blogs and then a deep learning of get into a book and jo- enjoy the ride. I mean it's. It's got. It's also. I feel like it's a, a push pull now. It is. I think it's a real tension, and you know, I just for some reason I decided to count this earlier this week. I have written twenty articles during the pandemic, meaning little digital articles, somewhere between a thousand and and twelve hundred words or so. And on the one hand. Well, I guess I, you know, I felt I had something to say sort of in, in an urgent, more immediate way that could be published pretty quickly, you know, online in a way that people might find relevant to the moment. Right. So that that's a, a little bit satisfying, just sort of get it out there, get it published. But on the other hand, it's unsatisfying because it doesn't these little short pieces don't have the space to do it justice, you know, to, to really be clear about what you think. And, and I think we're in this tension, as you say, between these sort of um, the, sh- the short pieces and the short attention span that we all have now and something wonderful about curling up with a book and just sticking with it and, and, and reading it from the beginning to the end. Agreed. I, I love that. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy, although, uh, you know, Maddie, 
my assistant was saying the other day, she said, geez, I went through the library and you consistently either read through or you stop at page 70. <laughs> <laughs> 70. I don't well, know that's why she's like, that's pretty... every one of these is page 70. I don't you know. You got that... pretty far along when you got to 70. But... Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm patient. Um, so you've written many books, but the last one being the fearless organization, what drove you? To, was it timing? Why, why the fearless organization? It's actually a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to tell it quickly. Uh, when I was a graduate student, I stumbled into the construct of psychological safety quite by accident. I, I did a study of medical errors and I didn't expect this. I didn't see it coming. I was just trying to figure out whether better teams made fewer mistakes. And the data at first suggested the opposite, which didn't make any sense. And so I had to sort of try to figure out what was going on. Um, and what I learned was that different teams, even within the same hospital, and this seems to be true in other organizations as well, can have very different interpersonal climate, okay? the, the, the climate for candor, the climate for speaking up. And I thought that was interesting and important, right? The ability to learn is as a team is much reduced if you can't speak up candidly, if you can't so, talk so about error. When yeah. you say climate, you're saying that, I, I'm assuming yeah. saying safety, the, 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 right? Yeah, and I'm using the word climate rather than culture because culture is a broader, bigger term. An organization has a culture, but a team has a climate. Right? It, 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 and, and that climate, may is is most certainly shaped by the organization's culture but not a hundred percent shaped by it right we've all been on teams at work that were great where i really felt i could be myself or we've been maybe been on teams that were uh places where you would just tiptoe and 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 not be direct or maybe sit quietly while others said things and that difference, um, I, so I'll call that interpersonal climate. And mm -hmm. later I used the term psychological safety um, to describe it. It's not necessarily the perfect term, but that's been the term now that's been adopted for the last 20 some years. So, so, so I've been studying this for a long time, but my real interest was learning, was teamwork, was how to help organizations thrive, adapt, learn, innovate in a changing world. But that was the real interest. And this notion of psychological safety or the climate for candor is one of many things that, that is important um, to me in, in, and, and others in this, in this broader quest. But something happened in 2016, um, which then led me to say, okay, I guess I should write this book. And that something was a research study at Google called Project Aristotle. And, and Google, you know, a PhD psychologist named Julia Rosofsky led that study, which took place over a few years. And the question, the research question was what explains differences in team performance? And the answer they came to, not with my help, I had nothing to do with this. Oh, the come answer, on. Uh, truly, well, except that they used my me measure, but not you know, unbeknownst to me, the answer they came to was that psychological safety was the critical factor. It was the factor that explained more of the variance in performance than any other. Right? So that that um, that was a surprise to them, and um, that led a a very good writer, a New York Times reporter. Um, uh, uh, now I'm. I mean, I'm sorry. This is the this is why it's good that we aren't. Uh, what's his name? Um, yeah, I think I, I know. I know. I, you I, know, I, it's like it's like at the tip of my tongue. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Anyways, um, I, I, he's a I wonderful writer. Anyway, so yeah. that led to a New York Times uh, magazine article that was widely read in February of 2016, uh, called "What Google Learned from Its Quest to Build the Perfect Team." Mm. Long and beautifully told story that ultimately to then now to my surprise came to the conclusion that psychological safety was the critical factor. And then in the aftermath of that article, there was a lot of energy online, a lot of 
digital articles coming out about psychological safety. And many of them referred to Google's idea of psychological safety or Google's discovery of psychological safety. Uh, so on the one hand, that was just thrilling to me to see everybody talking about this thing I've been studying for a long time. And, and certainly the, the New York Times article and Google gave credit to my research. But um, th that to me seemed like, well, it, it told me two things. One, probably was worth setting the record straight. In, in other words, like let's get out there and tell the whole story of how this research and the and the and the research literature that came out of that initial stumble came oh, right. came into being. And then the other was um, that it, I realized almost to my surprise that people were really interested in this and maybe would benefit from um, a deeper look uh, at what we know, what we don't know, and all the many stories that show how this works, and then ultimately more of a how to, right. how to build it. So, so, so your aha moment was, look, somebody scratched the surface. You said, well, look, there's way more to uncover here. We need to go deep and figure this right. out. And I love what you said about, and then, and then figure out not just how it occurs, but how do we do it? You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause it does seem to, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, but of course, you know, safety drives inclusivity. And so, so, so it must, you know, to feel safe about who I'm really, who I really am at my core and to be proud of that <clears throat> healthy conflict. So debate to get better results. If you don't have safety, you don't have that. And then even ideas and innovation, I mean, you know, just as you were speaking, it does seem to be a key foundation to a lot of, a lot of uh, great outcomes. Yeah. In fact, I would say it's foundational to knowledge work. Right, or, or at least any knowledge work that is interdependent. What, what's Meaning, knowledge work? Anyone knowledge work is, um, is, is any work, which is pr pretty much all work nowadays, any work that isn't exclusively about manipulating physical objects. Right? So one could argue that 100 years ago, if you were on an assembly line, unlike if you're on an assembly line today where you're working with complex computer equipment and making lots of, of crucial judgments uh, along the way. But let's say a hundred years ago on an assembly line, you were just a pair of hands doing what you were told. Do it just like this, right. don't deviate. Um, press the button. Press the button, right? So nowadays, um, all of us really are, are um, using our knowledge gathering new knowledge, using our expertise to convert inputs into outputs. Um, mm. and, and some of us, let's say we talked, we started this with a discussion of writing a book. A, a, a certain portion of writing a book is very lonely, very much you sit down and do it. Of course, there's usually wonderful researchers and people who, who might help or go learn something about something and bring it back. So that makes it a little bit more of a team project, which is fun. But but most work today is not only involves knowledge that's inside your head um, and hopefully comes out, but also teamwork, right. interdependence with others. And anytime those two things come together, knowledge and interdependence, it's mission critical that you feel able and willing to speak up and safe with, and safe, right? Safe to speak up. If, if, you know, if I, if I have a worry, Ooh, that doesn't sound like a good idea, but I think I better not say that because the boss seems to really like it. Then you're not psychologically safe and the project's at risk. It's interesting, you know, cause there's, there's two sides, right? And when I say that, I think back, so I used to own a private security company and you know, one of the one of the challenges when we were doing security at nightclubs and bars was when you finally had to approach someone when, when it wasn't the conversation didn't work and you had to then remove them. And 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 so what I would train our folks is is you need to treat that person like your best friend, like you're talking to your best friend, because the pivot to, OK, the idea that you might have to leave, you're not going to leave. And now I, I actually have to do something physical. What would happen is they would go from zero to 100 zero to hundred, they'd tackle the person down sometimes because they were so uncomfortable with this. And so, so what I was referring to is, is so if, even if we create app and I, I want to dive deeper into how do we do that, 
But the other side, you know, did that come up in the research of like someone who typically was never came from an environment where they couldn't speak up and now they're going to, but they do it in a very like, boom, you know, direct manner that doesn't land well because they're so uncomfortable or not. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's as if, um, it's a muscle that needs to be strengthened by frequent use. And so, you know, when, when we are habitually, you know, just slightly outside the comfort zone, like I'm not sure if this is okay to say, but I'm going to say it. Right. And you say, right. Um, then, and, and guess what? Nothing horrible happened as a result. So you learn, Oh, not so bad. Right. And then, you, and then you'll go a little further next time. But I think you're right. If, if, if things are bottled up and I couldn't possibly speak up to contradict or to add my two cents or whatever. And then all of a sudden there's a day where I can't stand it any longer, or you, the team seems to be about to do something so egregious that, I have to speak up uh, and I might do it so badly that no one will listen. Or, or they've joined a new organization, right? I mean, I feel like in well, our organization, true. we bring people that have built habits where there, that wasn't a safe place to do. And then they come in and, 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 and there has to be this sense of trust before they go there. And they do, they, 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 they're very cautious, even though we've said it, even though we've talked about it to the first step, it's like touching the stove. Wow. I didn't get burned. Wow. I didn't get I, burned. Right. Yeah. The bottom line is cautious. Uh, people are more cautious than is optimal in the knowledge economy. Right? So we are naturally cautious. Like we're always going to wait and see We're we're always going to hold back rather than take risks unless now what's the unless well unless you, you know we burned. really care oh sorry about right. the product or unless we really care about our team um you know or less or unless we're a hundred percent certain that what we're about to say is going to be applauded you know so think about you know think about the conditions that are present when you do speak up and and it's usually going to be one of those right you're either absolutely confident that what you have to say is is super valuable and others will think so too or you're not but you care so much about the product or the process or whatever that you'll do it anyway right um and but the the thing to really internalize i think for for you know at all levels and for all people who work is that the default state is overly cautious, right? Overly cautious in terms, not, not, not necessarily in terms of decisions you make, but, but in terms of speaking Communication, up. right. Yep. Your communication. communication, the human default communication is I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to wait and see, right? Yep. I'm just going to, you know, let someone else speak up. On let this someone one. else speak up and then I'll chime in if they're heading in the direction I was going to, but if they're heading in a direction that I think is wrong headed, now I'm even in a worse spot because now I'm even less likely to, to speak up. Interesting. So, so let's validate, you know, bring us down quickly the path of what did the research show from a results? Was it black and white all day long? This worked, here were some of the results. And then let's get to how do you do that? How do you create it? Well, the, the, I guess I would never want to say something's black and white because it's not dichotomous. It's a, it's a complex linear you know, it's a, there's a, there are levels of psychological safety, you know, there's super low, terrible uh, and, and super high, fantastic and, and everything in between. But the, the nutshell, in a nutshell, the research says um, in, in teams, work groups, even organizations, but most of the work has been done at the team level. The, the, Higher psychological safety means more learning behaviors, more speaking up, more asking for help, more sharing ideas, and more high performance. Right? So the, the research basically, in a nutshell, says that psychological safety is a darn good predictor of team performance. And, and is that why you use the term um, the fearless? Is that why you use the word fearless? <laughs> Because yes. it's seen this like that, you need to be fearless to to innovate, to speak up, and, and that's a strong, powerful word. It is, and it's it's also got two meanings. One, you know, one meaning is that we try to create an environment that's not full of fear, right? An environment where we've done our very oh, best right. to take 
interpersonal fear out of the mix so that we can be ourselves. We oh, can I never feel thought about that. Including. That's great. Um, and then the other meaning is, of course, you must act in a fearless way, even when it doesn't seem easy. Right. I, you know, I've got to be courageous. I've got to be fearless. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, that, that's great. I love that. And so, okay. So, so let's talk about that now for those that are listening that are saying like, you know, where do I start? You know, I don't know whether I've acquired this company, I've got bad behaviors. I've got this, I haven't designed my culture. I'm, I'm heading down the path or I've got this team that I need to bring this out. And what, what's, is there a starting point? What's the starting point? Well, I like to think maybe I'm a very simple thinker. So I like to think of it as sort of before, during, and after, uh, but that doesn't mean before you start the company and after you close it down. It means almost every every day, every interaction itself has a little bit of a before, during, and after aspect to it. So what are some of the things you need to do before, meaning before we're in a really important decision-making meeting or before that uh, interaction with the client, whatever it is. Before, so is that, is that like the, the seed planting, the prime? Yeah, the seed planting, before. the stage setting. And, and to me, the there's two crucial aspects of stage setting. One is just always making sure that people are aware of and excited about the shared purpose. You know, I think people you want you want front and center an answer to the question of why bother? You know, why should I get out of bed in the morning and come to work and, and put my effort into doing a good job? And you could say, well, that's what your paycheck is for. That's not a very powerful motivator. as we well, There's all know, lots of right? options for paychecks. Lots of options for paychecks. And I'm probably going to get my paycheck, whether I sort of mail it in today or really give it my all. And, and so, and this isn't my work, but lots and lots of work says the power of purpose. It says that when you believe that what we're doing, whether it's taking care of patients or developing new software matters, you're going to be more, your heart's more in it. Your heart and, and mind are more in it, right? So it's so purpose, but that's, that's you know, it's, but, it but should it's be funny. a routine, I mean, a habit. That that has, <clears throat> my experience is that's evolved. So so what I mean by that is, you know, the newer generation or or employees from from my experience you know it used to be i'd have to drive purpose down someone's throat right and and, mm. and really convince them this is the right thing to do and you know I'm in the private security industry our purpose was to change the private security industry that was continuously moving and now i have a company called vita living and our purpose is revolutionize affordable communities and so so the the evolution for this was me really like beating the drum to now you know one of our uh, latest um, employees, Kayla, who joined, she really grilled me about like, are you guys living that? Tell me more. I really need to understand that. I mean, there, there is this movement wow. where companies really need to be accountable to deliver on, on not, this can't be smoke and mirrors. One, it better be strong and you better be delivering or working towards that. I think there's, there's this new pressure, which I think is good. I think it's good too. And I, I recognize it as well. And I think you know, purpose, having a purpose up on the wall doesn't do very much, but knowing what it is, seeing, and this is the key, you know, seeing the connection between the stated purpose and the tasks that I do today is really important for it to be motivating. But that's right. just, so that's just one aspect. The other and more specific to psychological safety aspect of stage setting is, um, I call it framing the work. And what I mean is be explicit that the work that lies ahead is challenging and full of uncertainty, okay? Now that's just a given, but why is it important to say it? I think it's really important to, that for us to be on the same page about it because quite simply, that recognition of uncertainty and interdependence creates the rationale for for speaking up right if it's in other words our natural state will be oh, i'll just hold back and wait and see right so why should why should i speak up why why would you actually want me to speak up well i want you to speak up because we don't actually know what's going to happen next we don't really know what the customers want um i'm going to need to hear from you right the more you're saying those kinds of just little phrases the more you're creating 
a shared understanding that yes, in fact, this is valued. This uh, voice, this speaking up, right? It's interesting. It's meaning, it's meaning. Because you know, uh, I, this is a this is great uh, learning for me because we just came out of a quarterly planning session, and and I would say that today, Amy, we check and balance, and all I mean is, okay, Amy, um, you're you've got this major project. Let's check and balance that that aligns with our purpose of revolutioning affordable communities. If not, maybe we're on the wrong path here. But you're saying that the next level of that is end, Amy. This project is there's some major unknowns. We don't need it's right. challenging. You need to speak up, ask questions, ask for help. So you're just saying set that tone, make sure that they know like, yes, this is a big project. It is unknown. So setting the the grounds for, you know, this is going to be a difficult role. There's going to be tons of unknown. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's like you're setting the mindset of a scientist. I mean, quite truly, no one's ever done a project quite like this before, right? Maybe they've done things similar, but this is really, by definition, we're pioneers in a new new domain, right? This is new territory. And anytime you feel yourself as a pioneer in new territory, you're in a discovery process. And if you're in a discovery process, you are uh, someone who had better be speaking up with the data that you see along the way. And so you're, you're kind of asking people to put on their scientist hat, not their, you know, mere order taker, order giver hat. Right. So right. you're just framing, you're framing the work as a, as a journey of discovery and creativity and detection and correction rather than as mere execution. Because I think we have a default frame, which is just get it done, hit your KPIs, see you later. Mm, you're right. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I think that's a great planting the seed, setting the foundation. Uh, I love that. I think that's a great strategy. I love that. Yeah. So, so, so the during is, is simple, right? This is the simplest one of all, which is just um, be explicit in inviting voice. What does that really mean? That means ask good questions, right? Just routinely get in the habit. We're, we're very much in the habit of making statements as adults. We're less in the habit of asking questions. Now you're asking questions right now because you're in a particular role of interviewer where that's quite literally the job. But how much does that happen you know, in, in the real workplace, right? So you're asking good questions and good questions are the kind that focus us on something at hand, you know, a decision we have to make or the project and it's, and it's uh, progress. It focuses, what are you seeing? These are what questions and how questions and why questions, not yes, no questions, and right. certainly not, lead not leading witness. questions, yes. not leading yes. the witness. Yeah. Not everything's going great, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, boss. Uh, there you go. Right. But hey, what are you seeing? What surprises? What you know, what are you learning? What are you struggling with? Right. Those well, kinds I love of questions. The word, I love the word what surprises, right? Because yeah. There's that that's a that's an interesting word. What surprises? What are you seeing that's interesting? That 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 is going to drive conversation. That also says, I'm interested in what you've got. Like let's let's right. have fun with this, right? Right. If you were surprised, I'll probably be surprised too. And right. and so I get to learn from from you. Um, and it also it's it's a pretty high hurdle in a way, because what it's saying is I respect you enough to assume you're paying attention. And if you're paying attention, you're going to see stuff you didn't expect because we live in a constantly, you know, changing, interesting world. And, and I would argue that uh, 90% of companies today that follow up after project is Amy, how you doing? Are you hitting your targets? You need yeah. any help? Okay. Bye. You know, like binary. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the, and the answer to, do you need any help always seems to be no, like it's implied. No, no, no. I'm a good employee. I don't need help. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? Today's good employees are the ones who recognize, they're smart enough to recognize, yeah, I need help. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm not a, I don't know, fill in the blank expert on this. Yeah. Um, and so you always, so much of the work today is interdisciplinary and all, you know, most people have, have their expertise, but they don't have omni expertise. So they need others. Mm, I love that. Okay, so so let's keep going. I love this. Okay, so then the third thing, which is the after, which isn't really after, it's more in the moment. Um, in 
the, you know, in any workplace, there will be surprises like we were just talking. And guess what? Some of them aren't happy surprises, right? Some of them are what we would label bad news. Um, the, the customer turned us down. The new technology didn't work. Um, and so the, um, the, 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 the discipline here is one of training yourself to pause, take a breath and have what I call a productive response. And a productive response, especially to bad news is one that has two features. It's, it's appreciative and forward-looking. Mm -hmm. So appreciative means something like, oh, thanks for that clear line of sight, right? It's not good news. You don't say, oh, wonderful uh, news, Ron. It's not wonderful, right? It's, that would be silly and fake. Um, it's thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Like, thanks for calling. Thanks for letting me know, which is a genuine statement, right? It's always better, yep. even though it's not fun, it's better to know. And it's better to know now. And, and then forward looking means resist, at least for the moment, the temptation to say something like, how the heck did that happen? But sorry, I want to rewind to you said, yeah. you said, because I think this is important, and maybe it's not. Yeah. Is letting me know now. Yeah. You said now. Now. Yeah, right, now, versus... meaning bad news never ages well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's great. You yeah. know, and oftentimes, have you ever heard the phrase, of course you have, we all have, uh, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Now, it's well-meaning, right? It's well-meaning because it says, you know, be constructive, be proactive, you know, use your head, love that. But what it really says, what it signals is, don't come to me with problems. Oh, you're right. Right. And especially don't come to me with problems until you've worked out what you're going to do about it. That's such bad advice because we as human beings are good problem detectors. But oftentimes the solutions quite literally have to be team solutions because problems that we detect have are multi-causal. They have causes that have originated in your department and that other department and maybe even from the client or what have you. So, so usually at least any, you know, any worthy problem requires a little bit of a cross-disciplinary solution, a, a team puzzle. solution. It's a puzzle and it's a, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a team sport. So when you say, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions, in a sense, you're putting people in a bind because the solution cannot be developed until you have the authority or the opportunity to pull people together to take a look at it. So I love that, but I, and I, I'm going to drop that because I, you know, and I love, you know, you know, uh, there's the, you know, if it's not broken, uh, don't fix it. I say, if right. it's not broken, break it, put it back together better than you yeah. found it. But what, what's the new statement of that? Cause I'm going to drop that from my vocabulary. Right. I agree. right. So it's, it's um, come to me with problems and we'll, we'll work together on how to solve it. And, 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 and it's, you know, it's thank you. I love this one. Thank you for that clear line of sight. Right. And the forward looking part is how can I help? What do you need? Who should be convened for this? Right. So it's, right. it's a, um, the discipline to look forward is really important because, you know, fundamentally um, our first obligation is to, create value and to, to, to figure it out. And, to, and, and that's an exciting opportunity. I'm a big believer in the after action review, a big believer in the, you know, the postmortem, let's figure out what went wrong and why, but it shouldn't be the very first instinct. The first instinct should be great. What do we do now? Like, let, let's, let's right. move forward. Um, and then of course, we'll take the time to sort of learn from the mistake as that's best we can. I like that. I was I, I was wondering if there was a a balance of, you know, do your best, but if you're stuck, come or something. Oh yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right? I like that. I like that. Definitely, always do your do your best, but but always. I mean, reach out. It doesn't have to be to the boss. You know, it could be to others. Just maybe the 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 most important line would be, problem solving is a team sport. You know, problem yeah. solving is a team sport because that's where uh, I think too many people wrestle painfully and privately with what am I going to do next when for problems. I mean, there's some problems that are just your own and sure, you got to you got to figure it out. But an awful lot of problems would be 
shorter and better solved by openness and yeah. invitation. It's interesting. I, I, as you were talking, I'm just trying to think of how we deal with some of the stuff. And, and sometimes I feel, and I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying, but of course I, I go back to the old me where, where I solved everyone's problem and they didn't grow. And then oh, I was yeah. way too on the other yeah, yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so no. now I kind of say, look, Amy, you know, or whoever this is, yeah. Exhaust your resources, talk to the team, do And then if you're still right. stuck, I'm happy to help, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I don't want to great. Such a good, um, clarification because I don't I'm not advocating micromanagement um, right. or all all problems you know all problems come to you and you with your great genius will you know solve them um, but I'm advocating just simply for a far more open dialogue than we usually have I mean that we're less okay. tied up in knots that we're just more honest it's like oh yeah just so you know get this you know serious issue with this customer over here um, we're on it, um, but but you know you want you don't want you know. Um, um, here's another one that I don't love: um, managers who say, "I don't want any surprises." Um, on the one hand, I get that, right? What they're trying to say is, "Yeah, op open, open, open." But what they may be saying is, "Bad news isn't welcome around here." And so it's it, we have to we have to sharpen that one as well. It's well, like, but I, that, what was the other thing that you said? And I love that, which was bad news gets worse when it's old. Yeah, was, bad news doesn't age well. Oh, I love that. That's a good one because I feel as a, as a as a leader, founder, CEO, I want to know as soon as as it's right. there. I, I certainly don't want to walk Absolutely. into a minefield, right? Right, and and you know, in 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 the factory setting, um, as soon as we have a defective part. You know, we're we're very quickly creating a backlog, and 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 uh, and uh, and if we aren't reporting it, we we're building a nice little inventory of bad parts, right? And that's, you know, that's just a very clean and clear example of it. But but most um, problems, whether with physical production or uh, project stalling or whatever, the the sooner you can mount a productive response, the better. And, and what about, you know, we've been talking to our teams about this very thing. When you get to this inflection point of trying to solve something, the brain or the pressure tends in the past to have been, how do we solve this versus who or what can solve this? Right. And who or what is external? That it, And we try to tell our folks, look, you, you know, it might not be, forget that maybe the four people on our team are is the right person here. This is to figure out how it's, it's who, who else outside of that does that make sense yes yeah who else do we need who do we, who's who might have seen something like this before who might have you know fundamentally there's two kinds of problems there are old problems and new problems and and old problems meaning ones that we already have a solution for right there is a playbook here and then we need to quickly apply that playbook put it you know put it into action so that we can quickly solve an understood problem but the new problems are ones we haven't really seen before, at least not in this exact um, configuration. And then those are the ones that require creative problem-solving effort to come up with a new path forward. Right. That scientist mindset that you referred yep. to. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I love it. Let's keep going. Well, so that's, you know, that's, um, so it's, it's, it's setting the stage. It's yep. proactively inviting input and then it's responding productively. Mm. Those are both, you know, that's both a framework of actions that that kind of can be categorized into those buckets, but it's also habits of mind. It's a habit of mind that I do think is a more scientific habit of mind. Habit of mind being just like a beat. Um, can you explain? Well, just a way of thinking. Right. Um, you know, a way of thinking that's quite in touch with um the reality of of knowing some things but not knowing other things so it's a it's a it's a habit of mind that says wow here i you know i have my expertise i have my 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 accomplishments and i'm about to launch something i've never done before at least not in this exact configuration like never mistake a new project for last year's project you know just this new year. It's not, it's going to be different. Right? So it's a, it's a, um, it's a sort of humility about what lies ahead and a habit of mind. I think the most important one really is curiosity just to keep reinvigorating those curiosity muscles. 
keep reminding yeah. yourself there's so much more to learn that it's that you'll be more habitually willing to ask questions. Um, and then responding productively is really the having the empathy. Um, I liked your best friend mm. metaphor that you used earlier. So the having, in a sense, the empathy to appreciate that any other person in an interaction with you is also, you know, a person, a, you know, a, um, a real person with thoughts and feelings that, that needs the, the respect struggling. and care. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Maybe struggling may not, maybe acting like a real jerk who knows, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but they're someone's best friend. And just to be, be treating others as, you know, as, as, as humans, as the way you'd want to be treated yourself, you know, even if they've operated outside the boundaries, then you, you know, you say, so it's not, this isn't about being nice to everybody. Um, it's like when you're, you're a security experience when you get to that point where someone has to be asked to leave the premises right. you do it firmly you don't say oh no nah, it's okay you can stay i like you you know you, right. you're firm you've drawn the line but you do that with as much respect and empathy as you can possibly muster yeah yeah that's interesting and we, we always not to get off topic but the strategy was always to give someone the choice so i.e look Right. If, if we have to remove you, you're choosing for us to remove you versus that's right. on your own. That's you're giving right. them the autonomy. Right. You know? It's like do your your kid, do you want to eat your peas with a spoon or a fork? Right. Right. You're gonna eat those peas, right? You don't, I mean, that's the underlying message, but you're but the choice feels good. Humans do like choice. So the other thing I'll just say, in addition to these sort of habits of mind, is um putting in place and using using structures and systems. Like, for example, you know, what's a a structure for getting more input might be a focus group. That might be employees, that might be customers, but sometimes just having an explicit forum mm. that is designed to elicit thoughts uh, can, can go a long way. You know, might you might do something like that mid-project. You might do something like that um, routinely just to get the temperature. So, so Amy, I'm, I'm curious if this checks that box. So in our organization, we would have a monthly strategic meeting where, where we encourage folks to come with um, a challenge that they're faced, i.e. a bottleneck in front of them for their own job yep. or something they're seeing that's falling through the cracks or an opportunity with the company. But we really want to drive those conversations. And then we'll triage and say this, let's, we've got an hour, let's deal with that as a group. We'll, we'll kind of pick of which has the biggest impact on an individual or company and boom, we collaborate around that. Would that, does it's that perfect? Yep. That's a perfect example. What, what do you call it? Uh, it it's a, it's a monthly strategic meeting. So, so, it's, so it's a monthly strategic meeting, which doesn't immediately to you that yeah. to your team that conveys a certain thing, but those particular sort of mm -hmm. um, guidelines are important too. So you've got the name, you've got the routine, and then you've got these, like you bring an X or a Y, yeah. right? You, you bring a, an open question, a roadblock, um, an observation, a puzzle, yeah. whatever. So, so that's, that would be a beautiful illustration of a structure. So what, you're saying we should re rename that maybe just so. No, it's, no, no. Oh, the name sorry. is fine. Okay. I mean, I would say you would rename it if people had the wrong impression of what that yes. was for. Got it. Right. Yeah. But given you've clarified what it's for, then it's going to work. Yeah. Like if I just said, oh, if I just said I walked into some random company later today and said, you're going to have a monthly strategy meeting. And they said, OK, yeah, we'll do it. That wouldn't instantly say this is the kind of meeting where we want you to bring, of course, you know, your yeah. wild worries. And maybe that's something for us to think about. I mean, we're still, I would say, fairly small and nimble. Um, and so that happens in onboarding where you understand the communication rhythms and and the why behind these meetings and, and the expected outcomes potentially and, and, and what happens there. But as we grow, we might want to revisit that. That's a good point. Yeah, but I love, you know, you said some magic words there, the rhythm you know, the routines, just putting in place those kinds of routines and rhythms that, that um, keep us habitually learning together is really important as opposed to just assuming, oh, well, when people have something to say, they'll say it. Yeah. Not a good assumption. So this is awesome. I, and look, I've, I've learned a ton myself. I really have, have enjoyed this. What else have we not talked about that you thought in closing that that maybe the listeners would would get lots of value from? What is there another key point in the book or thing that you've been working on lately that that you'd like to share? 
Well, let's see. One of the things I've been working on lately, and I only touch on it a tiny bit in the book in, in the last chapter, um, is the intersection of psychological safety with, with diversity and inclusion. And, and, and clearly, there's a strong relationship, right? This is a really important, Absolutely. really important topic and, and a very timely one. So um, the, the, way, the way that I'm increasingly articulating this is diversity is a lever that you can pull if you want to, right? You can deliberately hire a more diverse workforce on whatever dimensions um, that, that are important um, to you and your company. Um, but do not assume that by pulling that lever, you have automatically created inclusion. You haven't, right? And inclusion, inclusion can be defined as um, in two ways. One is um, actually be having a seat at the table, you know, where relevant decisions get made, where, where the voices matter. Um, and, and two is feeling, um, feeling included, you know, feeling that uh, someone in my Safe. group is is oh, included is safe yes. and you know yes. and and is yeah. and is just um has a perfect right to be here right mm -hmm. and and so the first one you can do you know reasonably directly the second one you have to work at and psychological safety plays a vital role right i, I would say that the the journey from diversity to actual inclusion is enabled by if not utterly dependent on building a climate of psychological safety for candor, for voice. Right. Yeah. We, so our, our second book, we wrote a rage empowerment. We've got scaling culture coming out in the next, I think it's the next quarter. And one of our titles is diversity does not equal inclusion, which is exactly right. there you go. You yeah. 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 And, and so, so it's just using those same or like, is it using some of the same techniques we talked about earlier to yeah. get there? Is there anything new yes, that has been brought but in? More explicitly. I mean, you might say things like, we need a diversity of voices and you know and i i generally i you know that generally refers to perspectives expertise backgrounds but in order i believe in order to make a good decision on this issue we are we are dependent on hearing from all of you right let's just say that's just a sort of again that's a framing statement and then I get to go one step further. I get to say, you know, Ron, what's on your mind? Maddie, what experiences have you had uh, that that might speak to this? And it's okay to pass, but usually when I've given, you know, a, a direct invitation through a good question to someone, they'll they'll happily speak up. It feels awkward not to. No, I love that. It, it is all these framings because there is you know, hey, what do you think versus what experiences have you had? That's a much yep. stronger yep. draw yep. out. I'm going to listen. Uh, I love that. And, you know, the one thing, Amy, I don't know if we touched on, which really I think is also an outcome of psychological safety is buy-in, right? Because if I didn't get to answer that question of my experience with oh, this right. is X, right, is buy-in because then I've, I didn't go home and tell my spouse, there's Amy again. I, I don't agree with anything she says. Right, but know? I didn't speak up. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, there is research on this, not mine, but there is research that says if you have felt included, if you felt your voice was included in the process, even when the decision is made in a way that's uh, counter to what you believe was the better decision, you will still have more buy-in, more willingness to execute if you, because you believe that the process was fair, the process right. was good. And it's interesting because I don't, think we play this at I would I don't think we bat a hundred percent uh on this but what we try or should be doing I think internally in, in our organization is once we have that debate that you know once we go through this process then say great thanks everybody one I appreciate the feedback you know here's the decision based on you know and and, and actually there's a pre pre piece there but here's where we're going to head and thank you for that and are we all in we're all in let's great let's go and the other one that I've learned lately too is <clears throat> is setting the stage for that decision. And so, so, so for instance, you know, I certainly try to build an organization where, um, you know, I changed my title to chief support officer, right? <laughs> right. And, and so I'm supporting the organization, but there are, and, and so what that means is 
you know, our customers, our frontline leaders, they have a big say, they, they drive change. And we, and we want to be always very respectful of that. But there's some times where, you know, we don't go through this long process as a leader, I just need to make a decision. And I think the gap for me is, has not been communicating that. So I'll go back to my security story for a moment. Uh, we're doing the security for the Rolling Stones. We have 400 security guards. And so we have a conversation of where the guards are going to go and what we're going to do. And that's a collaborative, a very you know drawn out uh, discussion. But during the festival um, or the concert, when a fence falls down, I don't stop and say, hey, let's discuss this. I'm moving. No. We can debrief Absolutely. it. And so, but I think as a yeah. leader, I think I failed to set that play up, if that makes right. sense, to, to say, hey, in these cases, I'm going to move quickly because I think I was... I didn't communicate it well enough and it caused some confusion. Whoa, yesterday it was, let's talk. And now you're moving. It's framing, right? So it's a framing. It's a, it's an act of framing. And by the way, not just because of the urgency, you know, when that fence falls down, you got to act and it's not a team committee type of opportunity. Also, there's kind of a playbook, right? So let's right. use it. Um, but, but, but in general, there are some decisions that will not benefit from a consensus approach, right? They just won't. And, and two kinds in particular. Um, one kind is where there are genuinely different interests uh-huh. at stake in the room, right? Let's just say there's going to be layoffs um, mm-hmm. and they're going to come from your department or my department. There's just no way I'm ever going to be willing to say, yeah, yeah, they should come from my department, right? right? right. So, so right. this is the kind of decision for which the... Um, person with the responsibility for the whole, the, you know, the person with the bigger picture, the responsibility Objective, for the whole yep, has yep. to make that decision. And that has to be explicit and that can be explicit, right? It's not going to be easy and there will be a rationale and you'll likely share that rationale, but no, this isn't going to be up for a vote. Um, and, 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 and the other kind of decision um, would be the one, again, for which you have um, you have you have all the information you need. You're not dependent on others for things like, well, what's the customer saying this week or whatever. But you've got the information, um, and especially when there might be time sensitivity, you're you're going to make it because that's in fact um, your your job. But the kind of you don't ever want to make a decision where you're making a you know really bad decision and you're blind to the fact that there were five other people who had crucial information that could have helped you make a better one. Right, right. Yeah, well said. Uh, Amy, that was incredible. I, I want to really appreciate your time today. Thanks for dropping in and having this discussion with us. I've learned a ton. Uh, so thank you. And I'm sure everyone else listening has, has as well. So thank you once again. My pleasure. For more information about Amy or her books, please connect with her on LinkedIn and go to amazon.com to find her books. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming book and masterclass, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.